97.1 FM Talk. On Demand Audio. Daniel Flynn is with us here this afternoon. He is at the American Spectator. We've had him on before. He wrote a great book called Cult City, Harvey Milk, Jim Jones, and 10 Days That Shook San Francisco. might have been the first time that I hooked up with Daniel, but he writes for The Spectator, and this show has a theme of talking about some of the... um, some of the transitions that people have had, not sexually, but politically and ideologically in Hollywood. We offer Bill Maher and others up as examples, and I think Daniel digs a little deeper here. How are you, Daniel Flynn? Welcome back to the show. Outstanding. We're seeing some people change some minds in unique ways, aren't we? You know, we, we certainly are. And I think with Hollywood, you know, we think about all these far-fetched scripts that come out of there. Um, you know, we, we have a movie coming out called The Resurrection of Charles Manson, where we're supposed to believe that uh, Charles Manson can come back from the dead. There's one called 65, in which people go back in time and they run around with, with dinosaurs. To me, the most preposterous script to come out of Hollywood in the last uh, few years is certainly the, you know, these, these stars that used to be the personification of the Hollywood left airing these heterodox thoughts. I mean, I would never thought that I would see today that Sean Penn, a guy who used to, you know, cavort with Hugo Chavez, come out and telling Bill Maher that everywhere that has been tried, it's been a failure. I never thought I'd see that day. And so there's a lot of that going on. And, um, you know, if you go back, if you remember the film Team America World Police, there used to be, you know, there were all these um, Hollywood stars that were lampooned in that movie as these sort of sanctimonious left wing types. And a number of those uh, stars that were were thought of as like symbols of the Hollywood left back then are now saying some politically incorrect things. They're now saying some right wing things. It's not like they're the second comings of Ronald Reagan. They still have a lot of left wing beliefs. But they're saying some rather shocking things. Yeah, one of the um, one of the actors that you highlighted, and I remember talking about this on the air because this one really shocked me. I mean, if you go back in the last, um, you go back probably twenty five years, two of the biggest lefties out there and more vocal lefties in Hollywood, Tim Robbins, and I think they're ex wives now, right? Or it's it's an ex wife. You know, they they never married, I don't think. And it's it's funny, uh, Susan Sarandon, who you're talking yeah. about. I about 20 years ago, I was on the MSNBC incarnation of the Phil Donahue show in the studio with with uh, Sarandon and uh, Robbins. And, I, you know, I hate to talk out of school and this kind of thing, but I just found them obnoxious there. Like in person, I found them obnoxious and almost, you know, like I said earlier, kind of like the uh, personification of this smug uh, sure. left-wing kind of uh, thing that, that we caricature as conservatives. And to see him 20 years later uh, basically saying that a lot of what we've been told about COVID uh, was wrong, um, you know, that's rather shocking. To take that heterodox view, to take that, to, to wander off the reservation, um, you know, and you have to ask yourself, you know, why, why is he doing this? And I think the easy way to answer this is, well, you know, there's that old, saying that if you're you know, conservative at 20, you're heartless, and if you're a liberal at 40, you're, you're, you've got no brain. Um, part of that's at work, but I think the other thing is that a lot of these guys, they're no longer so dependent on a paycheck from Hollywood, and so they feel free to have their own thoughts. And I think for a long time, if you, are, if you work in a company town, you have to co- toe the company line. I don't think they really feel that pressure anymore. And so they're they're allowed to think things that they really weren't allowed to think before because they'd lose a paycheck over it. 
Yeah, and I, I just wonder how, how much further this is going to go because I'd, I'd like to see some people being a little bit more outspoken about a variety of issues. And, you know, now when you have, I don't, I don't know that there's an industry that's more DEI-focused than Hollywood right now where there are certain requirements for films and for TV shows, especially if you're going to enter them in any kind of awards situation where if you don't have, if you don't check the boxes off when it comes to racial or gender or any other composition, you're not getting looked at. You don't qualify. Yeah, with, with the Oscars coming up, they have imposed a rule where you're not going to qualify for an award unless you have a certain number of uh, people of certain races and, and sexual orientations and that kind of thing working on your film. Now, I don't know how they figure out what the percentage is, um, and I'm not sure that that's been imposed for 2023 or if that's something in the future, but um, it's, it's pretty extreme. And, um, you know, to, to have people coming out, you know, Woody Harrelson would be the, probably the best recent example um, on Saturday Night Live, where he makes this hilarious joke about, um, you know, movie script about the drug companies keeping everyone locked down in their house and won't let them out until they take their drug. And everyone knows he's talking about, um, you know, the pharmaceutical companies. He's talking about uh, the COVID vaccine and the lockdowns. And there is this really awkward silence in that Saturday Night Live audience because they're so used to the left wing, not ready for primetime players on the program. And to hear something um, that I'm sure that they dismiss as kind of like uh, Fox News conspiracy theory stuff. They they didn't know how to handle it. Right. Yeah. They did, it's sort of the same thing happened. Did you hear, and I thought this was great, and I think even somebody may have wrote about this um, today. Did you hear uh, John Stewart on Colbert a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about the lab leak theory? And he, you know, he just went off, and Colbert didn't know how to reel him back in because it was so off message compared to what that audience is used to. And he was basically saying, hmm, you know, there's a, there's a chocolate breakout near the Hershey factory. I wonder what caused that in making those comparisons to Wuhan. And again, uh, you know, I, I have always kind of like John Stewart, and he's turned way too woke for me. But that even surprised me because he, he did a bit of a turnaround, at least on that issue. Yeah, that was about a year back, I think, that he, he, he did that. And that was no, very there was something. To- there was, he just did something a couple of weeks ago on Colbert. That was, okay. yeah. Well, you're, des- you're describing something I saw about a year ago. Um, so I think maybe you saw a repeat, but, or maybe he did something even newer than, than what I saw. But I, I, I think that um, Colbert himself was even more nervous and, uh, you know, was more weirded out by what um, Stewart did than his audience was. Yeah. I think he was less prepared for it. And these guys are friends, but I wonder to what extent Colbert knew what was coming because he, it seemed really awkward. I have laughed at things that Stephen Colbert has done over the years, but I think for a lot of these guys, I, I've looked at them not so much as comedians, but just people that had, had used comedy as kind of a Trojan horse to push uh, political views. I mean, I, for years, I used to say about um, uh, Bill Maher that, that he doesn't really get laughs so much out of uh, saying anything inherently funny, but because he, you know, it's more because of ideological solidarity. And yet to see a guy like Bill Maher uh, transform, and you know, I still don't think he's all that funny, <laughs> but his program, uh, the one on, online at least, and, and the one on HBO, I suppose, He's saying things that are a little bit more down the middle, and I would have never thought that. I mean, like, when's Janine Garoppolo going to come over to our side? I mean, this is really amazing what's happening. 
there, there's, and by the way, and I'll, I'll correct my, you were right. So he, the reason that was in the news a couple of weeks ago is John Stewart talked about it on a podcast. So the actual appearance from Colbert was a while back. So thank you, Daniel, because I was unaware of that. The host actually played that audio like it was new. So, but that's why it was relevant again, because he talked about it on the podcast. Here's a name for you that you probably don't know, although maybe, maybe you do. Most people wouldn't. Do you know who Sasha Stone is by any chance? No, I don't think so. So Sasha is um, someone who runs an awards website for Hollywood. It's called Awards Daily. And it's become the, you know, the preeminent awards blog uh, where Hollywood studios pay attention because she makes predictions. She's got a bunch of contributors. And because of that, I've been in some guilds, used to be a, a film critic. I'm sort of in semi-retirement. But I was in the uh, what used to be called the Broadcast Film Critics. It's now called the Critics' Choice Association. She would write a lot about movie stuff. Um, that's what her website did and I would shoot her messages every once in a while trying to give her a little information and I was friends with her on Facebook and she was just she was so far out there left wing that I actually and I don't do this very much but I just zap the friendship on Facebook because I thought she is nuts right so let, let's go to February 15th a few weeks ago she writes a column she's on Substack right now Sasha Stone substack.com where the title of her piece Daniel was did I just leave a cult and she says, because it feels like I kind of did. And she's talking about the left, and she's talking about the climate nonsense. She's talking about the lockdown nonsense. She's talking about a lot of things that I never, ever thought. Now, this is someone that most people don't know, but I do think, to your points, it's symbolic. Because if someone that far left has sort of had some questions raised by our behavior in this country recently, I find that very interesting. I think what's really happened is there's been such an accelerated rate of change over the last decade or so, or even over the last seven or eight years, with transgenderism, with what happened with, with the lockdowns, with all the pronoun stuff. There are so many different things, you know, giving away free money for the, the uh, student loans. There are so many things that we wouldn't countenance uh, 15, 20 years ago. We wouldn't even, you know, the, the whole idea of the pronoun stuff would have been laughed at even by really far left people yeah. 20 years ago. And so the fact that we've had such a rapid rate of change, I think it's left some people behind who, you know, were very quite comfortable on the left prior. And now they feel like they don't have a, a place there. I mean, to hear Sean Penn tell uh, Bill Maher that he identifies as a hot dog that wants his own bathroom. And he's mocking all this stuff by saying that. And you wouldn't, you know, 20, 25 years ago, you would think Sean Penn being on the cutting edge of the left, they've moved so far that they've lost people like Sean Penn or Woody Harrelson. Um, you know, and I, I have to wonder, when when is Michael Moore coming to over to our oh, side? Oh, well, that would be, I, man, I'll tell you what, that's an interesting name to put in the mix. Now, they haven't all crossed over. If you go to that piece that I mentioned from Sasha, she, um, she, this is what she writes. I think you'd find this interesting. If you don't think it's a cult just today, and this happened a couple of weeks ago, the Hollywood Reporter published a letter from celebrities demanding the already oh-so-woke, couldn't-possibly-be-more-woke New York Times change their coverage of the transgender issues, and you had Judd Apatow and Gabrielle Union and others that were criticizing the New York Times for dangerous inaccuracies in coverage of trans people. All they were was a different opinion, one that's pretty valid, but they thought that that was, you know, transphobic or whatever. And all these people signed on to that. Well, she ripped it. A lot of people ripped it. There are still plenty of woke people out there. I don't know what the end game is here, but it is interesting that some of them, at least some of them, are finally waking up and changing their minds. 
Well, don't you think some of those Hollywood people that ripped the New York Times for being too conservative on transgender issues of all things, they they probably don't even believe what they're saying. I mean, it's almost as if you would pan back, you'd see the gun to their head or the metaphorical gun to their head where they're they're mouthing a line because they know they will lose income uh, if they don't toe that line. I wonder about that. Um... Because, yeah, I, I don't know. Because with some of them, I think they've just been so lost to some of this. They've been brainwashed and indoctrinated to the point where there's, you know, there's no return for them. I don't know. It's an interesting question, though, for sure. I mean, you look at the J.K. Rowling situation, right? That's just a bunch of nonsense. And how many people have actually taken the time, celebrities, um, to speak up for J.K. Rowling? You know, and I think we can say a lot of them agree with J.K. Rowling, right? But they don't want to say anything because they're afraid they'll get canceled. They'll be accused of being transphobic. Well, she's almost too big to cancel. I mean, she's the most successful author of our lifetimes. Right. And so she can say whatever she wants. I think a guy like Dave Chappelle, he's probably the most successful comedian of our lifetime. Um, He's probably too big to cancel. And so what the pattern you see is people who are so big, feel empowered to speak out against all the woke stuff, all the social justice stuff. But if you're a little bit further down on the totem pole, it comes with great consequences. It comes with great cost. Think about that guy on The Bachelor that merely kind of defended some, you know, 22-year-old woman on the show who had been at an antebellum party that dressed up as someone from like the 1840s South. And he said, you know, we should have some grace. We should have some forgiveness. They fired that guy. So, I mean, he's 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 someone that's that's obviously replaceable. He's in a job that many people can do his job. The moment he spoke up in a real timid way, in a real tepid way, ABC canned that guy. So you can see what would happen to a Chappelle or a, a J.K. Rowling if they were of his yes, stature. Yes, yes. No, it wouldn't take much. There's, And that's why someone like me, and I've done this my whole life, right? I did music radio before talk radio. I, I've said this many times over the past, I would say, three to four years, that I've never been more afraid. And nobody tells me what to say. My bosses don't tell me what to say or what positions to take. But I've never been more afraid of saying the wrong thing, which wouldn't even be a terrible thing to say, but it gets misinterpreted or they want to slap a label on you. And if, um, you know, if things make the news, you get canceled because the corporations will say, look, this is our bottom line. We can't, we can't worry about that. So you become very replaceable. Even, even in this industry, I think it's happening, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, that is unfortunate. I'm not in that industry. Uh, I was, you know, briefly sort of dabbled in it. Um, but you can tell any industry where there's a big corporation that kind of owns something, and that's true in radio, certainly, um, you, you do have to watch what you say. And I, I'm not, I don't think people should try to offend people. I don't think they should go out of their way to offend people, to offend trans people or whoever. I don't think people should do that. But if you happen to say something that's offensive, you know, part of that is almost the job description. If you're a morning DJ or if you're a talk radio host, you want to occasionally say something provocative, not maybe not intentionally so, but you'd be a pretty boring host if um, you know you, you just sort of your voice made the paint dry. You you want to wake people up, and so it's a, I think it's a very toxic combination that you're talking about. That on the one hand you're you're tasked with uh, generating interest among listeners, but on the other hand you better be careful about saying anything too interesting. Yeah, and I don't look at it that. You're right, though. But here, here's where this has been um, more costly for me in, in my life, uh, because I still have a job, thankfully. 
but I've lost friends and, and people who were pretty good friends who have then, and I, and I didn't change. I really, I don't think I changed at all, but then I was deemed in the aftermath of George Floyd, a white supremacist and a racist and just well, the, shoved aside. I, yeah. I, I think the way to go would be to just not have friends in the first place. That's how I've sort of <laughs> lived my life too. <laughs> you don't you don't lose them that way. And um, yeah, I think that's where you went wrong. All right. Well, I'm going to work on that, Daniel. Finn. Great conversation. I appreciate it. If you want to read the piece, it's in The Spectator. We'll have you back. Always a great guest. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, thank you. Bye. Get more at 971talk.com.